Welcome, everyone, to the Robin Walter Show here, part of the Red Sky Radio Network. God bless you today. Have a program with, uh, I'm going to focus, uh, well, guess what? Politics and religion, the two things you're not supposed to talk about when you go to some social event. The only two things I really even care to talk about, which probably explains why I'm better suited and, frankly, ultimately enjoy sitting at the kids' table uh, more than the adult table, because they don't get to talk about things that really matter. Oh, yeah, the weather for five minutes, sports for ten minutes. Uh, and then, they were, then I'm out. And then everything, because everything in life, if you're a Christian, everything in life has a spiritual connotation or foundation to it or effect. And the connection with politics is inseparable. You can't separate them. And, and don't even try, and they shouldn't be. So anyway, we are going to talk about the, about the debate, about the Trump speech. We're talk, going to talk about a bunch of things, but I've got a few things I want to lead with. I want to start with some good news, and that would be that there are over 130 abortion clinics that have closed since 2022. This comes from Operation Rescue. Uh, this is good news. There have been some that have opened, but the overall reduction, the overall effect is there, that there are some that are just going out of business or they have been legislated out of business by some good states that are out there. And the states that have taken on the uh, pro-abortion industry through legislation, uh, I'll, I'll just give them to you now before I go they are Alabama, Arkansas, Idaho, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, and West Virginia. Those are the good states. Now, it doesn't mean all the others are bad, but the others are fighting and they're struggling and they don't have the political uh, wherewithal to pull it off. States like Kansas, Nebraska, Utah, Arizona. Well, anyway, uh, 130. And there would be more, there would be more if the pro-life organizations that are out there did not actually interrupt pro-life legislation. You say, that's, it, that's incredible. Well, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but a listener in, in Nevada uh, sent me a YouTube video, which I followed. I've researched it. It's it's true. But I'm going to add to this video. But if you YouTube the fatal flaw, the fatal flaw, you'll get it. The rest of the title is Lies, Law, and Pro-Life Deception. Um, but I want to cover a couple of things with respect to the pro-life movement today before we get into the uh, the politics of the day. Although this is, I guess, politics, but it's also faith-based, all right? It's all biblical. Um, 
But the fact is that there are some pro-life organizations that fight against pro-life organ, uh, pro-life legislation. You say, how is that possible? Because they take a position that under no circumstances, never, ever, ever should the mother come under any criminal indictment, even though they will say that abortion is murder. I mean, every real pro-life person calls it murder, and it has to be because if, if you don't take a criminal position, then you've taken a position that it's okay. Well, if you take a position that's okay, how can you be pro-life if killing innocent unborn children is, if it's, how, how do you take a position that is wrong if you don't call it wrong for the mother as well as everybody else? Well, I understand what they're saying. That they say, well, there's this, um, you know, they're under duress sometimes. They're pressured. They're in a tough spot. I want to take you through the illegal analysis here that you can take what you hear and watch, see in this video. But I want to add to it my comments because while the video is good, it's, it's not wrong. It's just incomplete, if I can say it that way. Because the question that should be asked is, if you, pro-life organizations, call it murder, then who is the murderer? You can't have a murder unless there is a murderer. And unfortunately, uh, nobody seems to be challenging the pro-life organizations with explaining that position. They'll just say, we believe the, the woman is a victim. Well, is it murder? Well, yes. Who is the murderer? Well, they'll invariably say it's a doctor. They'll say it's a nurse. They'll say whatever, anybody but the woman that's involved. Now, I want hear me out on this because this is going to, I think, greatly expand the effectiveness of this argument if they included the things that I'm going to advise here and, and I would like to think would be taken into consideration. The fact of the matter is, you if, if you can't have a murder without a murderer, who is the murderer? Well, they say, well, it's the, the, the woman cannot be the murderer. She's the victim. And I, <laughs> who hires the doctor? The doctor doesn't barge into the woman's room while she's sleeping in her house, rip open the womb, and abort a child even though that's that's what happened in Israel when there was judgment again. So they came, the people that came in to judge Israel actually were ripping open the wombs of pregnant women and killing the children. But that's not what happens. This doctor's not barging into the room and doing that. The hus- You don't have somebody coming around and saying, you must abort your child and haul them off. They do that in China, but not in the United States. You see, if you hired a hitman... To kill somebody. Could you say that you're not guilty of murder? Well, if the woman hires the doctor to kill the child, it's like hiring the hitman to uh, do the job. Is it the actual, do you pull the trigger? No, but if you've hired the person, then you're more than an accessory to the fact you're guilty of conspiracy to commit murder, which if the murder, in fact, is committed, then you become as liable as the person who pulled the trigger. Now, I understand they say pro-life uh, supports this legislation, but uh, up to something that would call the mother uh, anything other than the victim. But there are consequences of this failed, flawed, and cowardly thinking of the pro-life organizations. Three, and i got to rush through them here. 
Number one, some are pressured into killing the child, and some aren't. I mean, I saw a video the other day. This woman said, look, I had an abortion, and if I get pregnant again, I will be thrilled without any further thought to kill the, my fetus. Does that sound like malice aforethought? That actually sounds like premeditation, which would be first-degree murder if the child in the womb was considered to be a person, a child with rights. But for the others, I, I understand some, some may be on drugs, some may be on alcohol, Many would be under duress from a boyfriend or maybe a husband that absolutely compels them, unless they're going to get beaten, to go kill the child. I get that. And there may be a lot of times that that occurs. However, like I said, some of these are actually premeditated. Point number two, no victim who commits a crime, if we're going to call her a victim, no victim who commits a crime is completely exonerated. You, there, are, there are some criminal consequences. If somebody puts a gun to your head, like the boyfriend or the husband, say, hey, I'm going to kill you if you don't go kill the child. And then you go kill the child, that does not absolve you from the crime. Yes, you're under duress. And if they're under duress we have something that would not be called murder. And this would be the thing that, uh, that the woman could, be, uh, could plead to or bring it down to. It's called voluntary manslaughter. You intended to kill, but you did it under duress or heat of passion. It's sort of like the guy that walks into the bedroom and finds his wife in the sack with another guy, pulls out a thirty-eight and toasts and roasts both of them. <clears throat> Is it murder? No, it's not first-degree murder because it's not premeditated. It's not second-degree murder because there wasn't a general intent to kill. It's voluntary manslaughter because while you intended to kill the person, you were subject to a heat of passion, as they would say. And that also is applied when somebody's on drugs and they're, or they're drunk. Uh, <clears throat> those kinds of things can reduce what would be first-degree murder and not even second-degree murder but down to voluntary manslaughter. And there has to be some consequence to the action because we now get to number three. If, if the mother is always and only ever, ever, ever could be a victim and is never responsible for killing, then we have removed the basis for identifying the behavior as sin. And if, and if it's no longer sin because she's a victim, then there's no longer a healing that will occur for the commission of the sin. It's pretty simple. The fact of the matter is if there were criminal consequences, then there are some women who would be brought to the brink of realizing that it's sin sooner rather than later, or maybe just simply happen as opposed to never happening. Because if it never, if you never come to grips with a sin, then you'll never come to enjoy and embrace the forgiveness that exists for the sin. It's really pretty simple. And if you never ever confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'd never deal with this situation. Guess what? You never get to see the child in heaven, because the child's in heaven, and the mother isn't, if she doesn't confess a sin and confess Jesus as Lord and deal with it accordingly. 
You see, the the approach to dealing with sin is to confront it as sin. And without it, we never get to the healing stage. We never get to the redemptive stage. We never get to the recovery stage. We never get to the healing that's necessary for some of these women to not later on go on and commit suicide. Because they know it's wrong, but everybody is telling them that it's right. And they've been logged and locked into a battle from which, for some of them, sadly, there is no escape. Okay. I guess that could have gone on Sunday morning with Robin Waller. I guess I was preaching as much as anything else. But see, I can't separate them, and nor should we even try. Now, the next piece is a little bit of comic relief, uh, I have to say, because it deals with John Kerry, who at a climate conference, and who was speaking, so the mic is right in front of him, the mic picks up a huge flatulent emission, right? John Kerry, with a big global warming mouth, cuts the big cheese. And it's picked up easily from his own microphone. And what is he talking about when he cuts the cheese? He's talking about excessive gaseous emissions. I mean, you can't, you can't make this up. I mean, it's, it's poetic justice. I guess that's what some would say, right? Well, I'll tell you, this is what I thought. I, I, I don't know how many of you remember. Uh, I never watched The Roadrunner much because I just didn't think it was funny. Funny as in Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and Foghorn Leghorn and all those guys, all those Looney Tune cartoons, which I thought were hilarious. I still do think they are hilarious. But if you remember it or you saw them in syndication, I don't know if they're still in syndication, but invariably some character would come up on this up on the screen and they would stop the screen, uh, stop the, the footage from rolling. And then they would put a subscript in underneath typically the coyote or the Roadrunner. Those were the only two in there, I think. But they would change them, and they would give them a Latin subscript to identify that character. Kind of like if you threw up a man on the screen or a woman, and, and underneath it in parentheses it would say Homo sapien. Okay, so <clears throat> you give it that title. And I got I just cracked up last night. I just got to thinking, what would be the, what would be the, the subscript under, under John Kerry speaking? If you were in a road runner, and this is what I came up with for the big mouth who cuts the big cheese. He would be loquacious flatitudinous. That's right, loquacious flatitudinous. That's the the the, the Latin, so to speak, for somebody with a really big mouth who cuts really big cheese in public and just keeps on talking about excessive gaseous emissions. Okay. Well it wasn't Christian, but it really wasn't unchristian, right? I don't think so. All right, I got to cover a couple of things here about Hamas, about Israel, and then we are going to move on to our topic of the day politics, debate, religion, you name it. We're going to throw it all in there to one big pot, stir it up, see what comes out. But as you know, the ceasefire is over, it's off. 
and it's because Hamas broke the ceasefire uh, rules. They broke they 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 uh, the quiet time. So they they were supposed to go to their corner and just be quiet, but they didn't live up to the agreement. Hamas violated the agreement, and and Israel made it clear: you violate the agreement, the war is back on. We're not going to stop. So Netanyahu was asked the other day when the hostages were released, he placed the blame squarely at the feet of Hamas. And I have to say, I don't have much credit to give this administration about anything. But John Kirby came out and said, yes, Hamas broke the deal. Now, is he fully in favor of of Israel now starting to bomb the crap out of southern Gaza? No, he's not. But he has to acknowledge that Hamas broke the deal. And why did they break it? Because the Palestinians, because Hezbollah, because uh, the Palestinian Authority, Hamas, they don't want peace. They've never wanted peace. They broke it on purpose because they don't want a ceasefire. They want a war because they have rejected Israel from the get-go. They want them wiped off the face of the map. There is no moral equivalence here, folks. So don't yeah, you can pray for Hamas, but don't tell me there's some moral equivalence with Israel. No way, Jose. They rejected Hamas, the Palestinian Authority. The Palestinian Authority rejected the two-state solution, so to speak. It would be the final solution for Israel. But they rejected it when it was offered. They finally came... Israel finally came around to offer it, what, 10 years ago or 12 years ago? I can't remember exactly when. They rejected it because they don't want peace. They didn't didn't want it because if they accepted it, they could not attack Israel. They had to honor and recognize their existence, and they don't. Hamas, Hezbollah, Palestinian Authority, what do they have in common? They all want Israel wiped off the face of the map. So what do you do if somebody wants your face wiped off the map? Maybe you have to wipe wipe their face off the map. That's all they have ever wanted. It is in the charter of Hamas. It is in the charter of the Palestinian Authority. Get this, people, who are supporting somehow Hamas and Gaza and the civilians. There is part of the Palestinian Charter. It's part of the Hezbollah Charter. That the only exist, the only legitimate is Israel is one that no longer exists. It's gone. They're all dead. We own everything. We don't just get 99% of the sand in the Middle East. We want 100%. What would you do if somebody acted to eliminate your family and vowed, if it's the last thing on earth to do, they're going to kill you, all of your family, take your property, and they own everything you ever owed? Would you not exercise a preemption? as a legitimate act of self-defense? And if you wouldn't, you're an idiot. And it's not a biblical position to just let everybody... Look, you go turn your cheek if you want, but you don't get to turn the cheek of your wife or your husband or your children or your grandchildren or your neighbors or your country. No, you can't turn their cheek. When Jesus spoke that, he was talking about something that didn't bring a person's personal safety into question. 
is it's dealing in the context if somebody assaults you. Why? If somebody strikes you on the cheek. That's an insult. It's a slap to the face. It's not somebody come pulling out a sword to run you through or an AK-47 to take you and your family down or rape your daughters or behead your children like Hamas did, which 84% of the Gazanians support. And this isn't even preemption. This isn't Israel preempting. This is Israel in retaliation, and it's fully justified. Okay, here we go. I'm going to cover things in order, but I want to start with a piece, just a little comment about the debate that was on last night. I hope you saw four parties, Christy, Ramaswamy, DeSantis, and Nikki Haley. I hope you watched it. I'm going to start, well, I'm going to say this for just a little bit later. I want to talk first, actually, about the Trump speech in Iowa the other night. You know, he labeled it as a big blockbuster speech. I don't know that it was a blockbuster, but I want to say that it was clearly one of the best speeches Donald Trump has ever given. It really, it really truly was. I mean, it was, he was sharp. He was detailed. There was substance. And what I think I noticed more about Trump's speech was there was a greatly reduced use of the word I, wherein he then substituted with the word we. It wasn't the I, 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 to which I get tired. It's obnoxious, that narcissistic, I, and I just say it's I, 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 I. But he seemed toned down, and the greater use of the word we gave another speech a few months ago, which I noticed the same thing. I thought that it was uh, fascinating with great passion, and he, and he read it well. He read a poem called The Snake. And he, he identified this ideological, ideological criteria for, for immigration, the right way and the wrong way. It was thoughtful. It was detailed. And the, and the poem, The Snake, is a fabulous poem. You can look it up. I'm not going to read it. Um, but he was, uh, he, he was, um, <laughs> he didn't admit some things he should admit, that he screwed up with Anthony Fauci and the vaccine mandate. Those things he still has to own. But he was on the money regarding the Second Amendment, um, refusing to fund schools that push porn, push sex ed, push tranny crap, all of that stuff. He hit those items well. And I, his closing, I, you know, this really amazed me. The, 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 the speech ended with an organ playing in the background at the close of his speech, an organ. And I and my wife and I, we looked at each other that, is he getting ready to make an altar call? Because this sounds like the end of a church service. You do your speech, fiery or otherwise, but then you know it's coming to a close when all, all of a sudden the organ drops in, gently in the background plays some little little thing, uh, whatever, whatever the, the hymn is, done softly and quietly, maybe picking up a little volume as it goes on. But you know you're to the end, and he closed with this, with this organ. And it was a humble closing. 
It was solemn. It was subdued. Yet it was steadfast. It was determined. And it was hopeful. And the way he shared it was it sounded as though, well, what he really did was he gave a eulogy of sorts for the death of America. But he didn't end the eulogy with the grave. He ended it with a hope and a belief of a resurrection, so to speak, of this country. It was beautifully and wonderfully done, whether it was how planned it was or how just directed it was by God. I thought that it was superb. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like the other ones. And so maybe he is, in fact, being humbled or has been humbled to a point where he can more graciously engage the topics and win over people who uh, have been not supportive of him. Uh, okay, so now to the debate. And I, I just, I, I got to cover this because it's important. I have said all along, we don't know if Trump's going to be the candidate in the end. I have, I've, I've said, I think there's a strong chance he isn't because of what could take him out. It could be a sickness. It could be an injury. It could be somehow prison. He could be assassinated. He could be all those things because that's how much people hate him. So, the debates are important from a perspective of two points. Number one, who would be his replacement if he's not around? And if you don't take the time to identify that person, then you could be scrambling if something happens to him at the last minute. But you shouldn't be waiting there anyway, because even if you had time to scramble, because the debates help you identify who would be a good running mate for the Donald? And I think these debates make it really, really clear. But one of the things, um, I get a hard I have a hard time getting my wife to watch the debates through to the end because she gets frustrated, like I do, because they start yelling at each other, they start interrupting each other, and they start behaving less like candidates and more like, you know, some kid in fifth grade who's just trying to get attention. Um, I, I understand when you are being maligned by somebody standing next to you, you want to respond and you would re want to respond like you would if you were in a two person uh, dust up in a room where nobody else is present. You, you're going to engage. In fact, the fact is, if somebody is attacking somebody else in a two person conversation, nobody else is present. You're going to have pushback from both sides of the people interrupting. But what's different here is there's a national audience, and you can't you can't do that. Now I am no fan of Chris Christie by any circumstance. I mean, if he was running for against Joe Biden or or, or what I still think is Gavin Newsom, what have you, um, of course I'm going to vote for him. He would be probably the lesser of the two evils, but he didn't he didn't barge in like that. And to and to his credit. Um, he restrained himself for the most part, though everybody was guilty of it. DeSantis, Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley was less guilty of it last night than she has been in the past. But when they start going on and you just ended up with this cacophony of voices, um, 
there is uh, we have a listener, faithful listener in Las Vegas, and he sent me an email and he suggested something which he knows my age. I know his age. We're kind of about the same age. Um, and he asked me if I remember, <laughs> asked me if I remember the gong show. I remember it well. It was one of my favorite programs. Uh, it was with Chuck Barris. And when somebody would jo- just not uh, cut the mustard and they were out for whatever it was they were doing in their act or whatever, then the panel, if they just had enough of the person, they would bang this gong. They keep banging. And the person was done. He was out. And <laughs> it was unceremoniously evicted. Uh, with this great big gong. And he said, you know, why don't we just have this gong in the debates when you get this meaningless crap going on and people are talking over each other, cut, or somebody won't quit, cut them off. And I like that program. They had uh, what was called the Unknown Comic. It was some guy who told bad jokes, and he had a bag over his head so you couldn't identify him. It's kind of where the other, the unknown musician or whatever that program probably got the idea. But this sounded like a good idea to me, and it was something I would like to see to bring a little bit of comedic but needed relief into any debate where people are trying to talk over each other. You get the gong out, and then you cut the mic for a, for 30 seconds of the person who violates the gong. It would all come to rest. Thank you, listener in Las Vegas. We'll be right back with Robin Walters. Don't go away. The Robin Walters Show is a listener-supported program. Your contribution goes to help as many people as possible to hear that the Word of God has answers to help you survive and even thrive in the dark days ahead in this country. We pledge to bring you the critical information you need to make informed decisions in this age where big tech and big media have conspired to rid our country of everything Christian. Please send your support to Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Thank you. Crossing the highway late last night. He should have looked left and he should have looked right. He didn't see the station wagon car. The skunk got squashed. And there you are. You got your dead skunk in the middle of the road. Dead skunk in the middle of the road. Dead skunk in the middle of the road. Stinking the high heaven. Ah, we are back. So why would I play that song today? Because we had a couple of dead skunks in the debate. And uh, we're going to call them out. But first, I want to just sort of run down and give a little bit of an overview for those of you who didn't see it. Those of you who did, you could write me. Tell me whether you agree or not with this. Um, That's fine. I'm a big boy. I get some critical stuff. I get some congratulatory stuff. You could write me at redskyradio777 at gmail.com, redskyradio777gmail.com, or Robin Walter Show at gmail.com. And so I'm going to just start with, in no particular order, 
I'm going to start with DeSantis. DeSantis didn't answer the first question. He didn't answer the second question. He didn't answer the third question. And he didn't answer his fourth question. <laughs> this is, um, and there is a distraction that he It just bothers me. I love, I love the guy. I really do. I don't think he was the best last night, but he was a he was a close he was a close second to who I thought won it. But he's got this head bobbing going on. He turns his head to the left, and then with a kind of a concerned look in his eyes, and then he takes his head back to the all the way to the right with a look, and then he goes straight up, and it's just <clears throat> they it just had kind of has this bobblehead kind of thing going on, and worst of all it. It's just distracting. That's all I could really say. Um, now, I want to also say, though, I thought that he had the best answer, and actually an abulous, absolutely fabulous answer on immigration. And he had some other great answers, but they weren't, for the most part, well, let me put it this way. There was no one who had better answers to questions that were not asked. Okay, he said what he wanted to say. I mean, the immigration question, he more or less answered that one. And it was a great answer and a couple of others. A lot of things he just talked about, whatever he, we, he went off. And he's just like, okay, if this topic comes up, this is what I'm going to talk about. And um, it was bothersome to some extent. But like I said, no one had better answers to questions that were not being asked. And Chris Christie, well, I'll get to him in a minute was faulting him and everybody else for not answering the questions that were asked. And he made a good point to that. He said, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to answer your question. Until, and I forgot what the question was, uh, at the very end of the debate, there was a question asked of him, and he just took off in a totally different direction. So he ended up being a bit guilty of what he was um, castigating the others for. Ramaswamy. Uh, it was obvious he didn't have a lot of supporters in the crowd. Uh, Nikki Haley uh, brought her crowd with her, and it was obvious by booing Ramaswamy. I thought Ramaswamy personally was fabulous. I still do. He's the only guy with real, with ultimately the guts to call out things as they are. I'd, I put him a notch above DeSantis. Uh, in fact, in, a, in the case of who were the most – who are the two – who are the most moral people up on that stage? It was easy that it's, it's Ramaswamy and DeSantis. And I'm not going to say one in front of the other. Um, I think what Ramaswamy brings to the table over DeSantis is he is he is just quicker to take on the corruption of the, the establishment and the deep state. There is nobody, nobody more anti-woke than Ramaswamy. And he has made anti-wokeness fashionable among other Republicans. Other Republicans rip him to shreds, but then they pick up on his tactics because they're, they work. They're just envious of him and jealous. Did he go too far in uh, castigating Nikki Haley? Maybe. maybe not, but and maybe he did. And there were times when he needed to not interrupt people. He was guilty of that as well. He was not sacrosanct in that respect. So I want to just call it like it is. But whether he was unfair to her, it, it would not be because what he was saying was untrue. What he was saying was true. I have researched her and what she, 
But the question is whether he needed to say it or the way he said it. Because in the end, his some of his comments, in the event Nikki Haley should be the uh, Republican candidate, she'll never be the vice presidential candidate. She's going for broke. It's all or nothing with her. But Ramaswamy's comments could be used in a Democratic campaign ad or ads against who? Against Nikki Haley. Um, and because, uh, you know, wh why argue with your enemy if you have one of your enemies beating up, beating the snot out of your other enemy? The Democrats could just use the Republicans to accomplish uh, what they want to do if Nikki Haley was the candidate. Uh, so let's get down to Nikki Haley. Okay. She was a uh, feminatus interruptus last night. She was doing the interrupting just like all the others were. Uh, she spoke well. I will give her that credit. She had some great answers. And she had a ton of supporters in the crowd to boo Ramaswamy and cheer her on. Now, those people, uh, the other contingent, there was a contingent there for DeSantis, but there are people, don't touch Trump, because when Christie went after Trump, he got booed. The question is, I don't believe her. I don't. She's she's untrustworthy. And, yeah, she pulls out this demure southern female uh, routine. Uh, oh, gee, thanks for all the attention, fellas. I, I appreciate it. But she's a rhino in all caps. And I'm going to prove it here in a minute. She has She will veer right as much as is necessary which is causes and brings her into question in my mind. I will say this about all the others on that stage. Chris Christie included. Chris Christie, DeSantis, and Ramaswamy. They have all said, by and large, what they have been saying. I do believe, whether I agree with what they say, I do think they actually believe what they are saying. Do I believe Christie hates Trump? Absolutely. Do I believe that DeSantis is fully support behind all of the legislation he passed? Absolutely. Do I think Ramaswamy is as anti-woke and anti-establishment, anti-government um, bloated agencies as he comes out? And Absolutely. But not so with Nikki Haley. Now, here's my proof. And I'm going to be one piece of proof that's all that's necessary. She's on record. Everybody, and I don't know why Ramaswamy didn't pick this up and use this last night. But Nikki Haley clearly, without question, unequivocally stated she would never run against Donald Trump. And so now she's running. So you have two choices with Nikki Haley. Well, maybe actually three. Either A, she's a liar, or B, she doesn't keep her word. She's untrustworthy. Why? And, and maybe a third choice. They both could be true. Because being a liar and being untrustworthy are not mutually exclusive. No, you could be both. So I guess that's 
number three. And I don't know why. I mean, I would like to have seen somebody pick up on that and call her out for what she is. She says things well. She says things I like to hear, though she's totally compromised on the issue of abortion. She doesn't have the guts to say it. And then when she draws back, pulls back, well, this is, this is, a, this is a job that requires a woman. Imagine a guy saying, well, this is a job that requires a man. And I'm not talking training guy either. You know, she gets away with some stuff. And that's why this demure Southern, she cannot be exempt from taking the hits because what happened that drew the most booze uh, when Ramaswamy, when he called out Haley as being corrupt. And she is. I loved his comment. Hey, seven years ago when you were governor, you were worth $100,000. Now you're worth $8 million and you haven't really changed jobs. So what do you, well, it's the Boeing contract. The Boeing, He called her out and called her corrupt. Now, Christie came to her defense. Everybody on the, on the news panel, the talking heads afterwards, they said, you know, how do you treat her that way and call her corrupt? Well, what they didn't mention was all the times that Nikki Haley called Ramaswamy basically a liar. That's a lie. You're lying. It's a lie. So it's okay for the woman to assassinate Ramaswamy's character, but somehow it's not okay for Ramaswamy to tell the truth in the character assassination of her. And that's all I care about, is he telling the truth. And that's what Christie ends up considering to be the highest virtue. And yet he shreds Ramaswamy, and we'll get to him right now. So the governor... Well, they didn't show many profile shots on the stage because every time they did, he couldn't hold himself up. He's leaning on his podium because he's a heavy-duty guy. He, I don't know if he can't stand up that long without support or whatever, but he's always leaning on the podium. He started lame. He finished really lame. And, you know, here's something to pull out a bit of hypocrisy. He's stating that Donald Trump is not fit for public office. So understand, he's not qualified. So let's take the greatest American president in the last 100 years, and we can argue whether he's better than Ronald Reagan or not. Ronald Reagan was great for his time. Donald Trump was not right for the 1980s. Ronald Reagan would not be right today. It takes sort of a bull in the china shop with as screwed up as this country is. So this is somebody saying about the best modern-day president in U.S. history is not qualified, who's already done the job once and did a fabulous job, didn't accomplish everything. He did a great job, and he screwed up some things. But he did a lot more good than he did wrong. And somehow he's not qualified, and Chris, you are qualified. I mean, he endorsed he endorsed uh, Trump in 2016. He endorsed him in 2020. And so uh, he's just he was just anti. He's so anti-Trump. But is it hard to know who is telling the truth? Um, and you know, it's it's clear who the the panel is for. They're clearly 
against Ramaswamy because they were very quick to cut him off when he reached his time limit. And he tried to wrap it up fast. But he gave uh, they gave grace to the others. And toward the end, I think they started to cut him off because they probably felt uh, the hypocrisy of cutting off one person and not cutting off others, right? Well, um, who answered the questions? Well, we've kind of covered that. But I want to get to uh, one last comment about Chris Christie before we draw some conclusions about the debate. Um, Chris Christie called, and I'm just going to quote him. He said, I've had enough of your, quote, smart-ass Harvard mouth, end quote. Why would he say that about Ramaswamy? Didn't call Ramaswamy a liar. Didn't call him a hypocrite. The thing is, Ramaswamy is smarter than all three wrapped together. But smart is not the answer. And he gave a great answer when he said, it's not about your foreign policy experience, Nikki, or what have you. It's about your wisdom, your foreign policy wisdom. And then he went on to cut her to smithereens, frankly, quite nicely at that point in the debate. Ramaswamy frustrates everybody up there because they see him as the young kid who happens to be smarter than all they are, has the guts, nothing to lose. Who does that remind you of? Donald Trump, 2016? They all hated him on the stage too. He said what he wanted to say because he had nothing to lose. He had the guts to say it and he said it. And why he was not an insider. Ramaswamy and Trump are the only two candidates going back to when the, the, the stage was filled with them. The only two that have not spent their life or a good portion of their life in a government trough. Now, Doug Burgum, I liked him from North Dakota. Uh, he had only been governor for a short period of time. I really did like him, but he's not the guy. He just isn't. I don't want to get into it. But basically, the others, how long has Christie been in office? He was in office some time and worked for the government. Haley, DeSantis, I'm not saying that they're pigs sucking up the slop like Biden is clearly, and most Democrats are sucking pig slop in the trough because they've been there forever. But this I can say about Trump and Ramaswamy. They're the only ones who, at least Trump probably before he became president and refused his salary, hadn't touched a government dollar. They spoke as businessmen. And I like that. They weren't talking as government rhinos and neocons. And, and Ramaswamy gives people the jitters. They're just afraid this guy is going to break out. So they're trying, to, they're trying to bust him and bury him before he can spread any further. So Chris Christie was jealous and envious, actually, when he called Ramaswamy. I've had enough of your, quote, smart-ass Harvard mouth. I don't know what the people from Harvard think of that, but he's got the guts, and that I like. So let's move on to the conclusions. So here we go. Uh, like I said, I think the highest moral ground in the debate was Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy. I get it. They, they nailed it. 
in that sense. The lowest was, without question, Chris Christie. His answers about uh, supporting the rights of parents to commit their kids to tranny surgery, bodily mutilation, mastectomies, was horrific. And I wish somebody had said, so you would be okay with submitting your child to slave labor, uh, if that's what they really wanted, prostitution, what have you. You're okay with that? The parent could uh, could negotiate or direct the child into those life-destructive behaviors? Is that what you're saying, Chris? You think that, that the 10-year-old is always right and everybody else is always wrong? Do you think the child is right and the Bible is wrong, Chris? He, he was he was at the bottom of the tank morally. Nikki Haley is a compromiser. She's a weasel. Whether it's on abortion, whether it's on Ukraine, I, I think uh, Ramaswamy was absolutely correct. Let Putin have Ukraine. He'll get he'll get so wrapped up and overwhelmed with a with a country that hates him and will always fight against him. He won't do any better job there than he will do in Afghanistan. But as I said, to some credit to uh, everybody but Nikki Haley, I don't think they were weasels. I think they actually said what they believed. And that is very, very important. And now, the finish. At this point in time, my pick for the Republican ticket is Donald Trump and Vivek Ramaswamy. And here's why. I don't want Trump to fall into the Reagan pit. Ronald Reagan picked George Bush. And why did he pick George Bush? People said, under pressure of what was the deep state. George Bush, number one, was a globalist. He was part of the Trilateral Commission. He was no lot more a supporter of Ronald Reagan's ideology, which was basically make America first. But he got pressured into it. There's even stories that Reagan would uh, be assassinated if he didn't pick Bush. I don't know if that's true. But he compromised. Bush was not a compliment to Reagan in any way, shape, or form. And you don't need to have somebody that's supposedly balanced. Why do you need somebody who wants to be independent and free of government bureaucracy in the deep state and then balance them out with somebody who is a deep state person? That was George Bush. Trump does not need and should not do that. Mike Pence turned out to be, in my opinion, a disaster. But Ramaswamy is the person who is the most like Donald Trump. He's Trump 2.0. Both businessmen, both want to make America great. They're, they have, and this is what others don't have, they have vision. Trump has always been about a vision of what this country can and should be, again, and make America, Ramaswamy, the son of, of immigrants, ridiculously smart. Smart isn't everything, but when you have good values, he expresses biblical values. Whether he's Hindu or not, if he expresses biblical values, he's been consistent in it. Then Trump has somebody who actually is a torch carrier for him after he's gone. Somebody who is in line with them. You don't want balance. You want somebody who shares the same vision. So when they're out on the campaign trail, you almost can't tell who's talking. They're that unified. Each man has a vision for America. They're not given 
to compromise. They're not given to uh, fraternizing excessively anyway with the enemies, which in this case is the deep state. Now, ultimately, when you go pick people, there is a Bible passage that you need to look at, familiarize yourself, acquaint your, not just acquaint yourself with, know it, and ask it about the candidates. And it comes out of Exodus chapter 18, verse 21, which gives a three criteria for biblical leaders. And this is true whether we're talking about the dog catcher, uh, it says to be rulers over thousands or rulers over hundreds, rulers over fifties or rulers over tens. This is what you shall provide out of all the people. Ones who fear God, who fears God up on that stage? Well, I would say three fear them, fear him. I would say Nikki Haley does to some extent, DeSantis and Ramaswamy. I don't see any of that in Chris Christie. They need to be people of truth. People of truth. Now, who tells the truth up there? I would say all three, Christie, Ramaswamy, and DeSantis, speak what they really, truly believe. I think Nikki Haley is puts her finger to the wind and sees which direction she's got to tilt and veer to, uh, to get to her destination. I do not trust her, and we prove that with her lying about whether she would uh, run against Trump, which if it wasn't a lie, then she does a person who doesn't keep her word. So she's out. The third one, so it's fear in God, be a, a man of truth, in which case we'll include women here, woman of truth, and to hate covetousness. Now this gets tougher because who is there, who is there coveting the job? Is that Chris Christie? Is he, is he coveting this job? I don't think he is. I, he seems to be there more just to derail Donald Trump. Does Nikki Haley covet the job? DeSantis? Ramaswamy? Uh, it is hard to say. I can't read their heart. Um, but I tend to place a greater emphasis on somebody who has nothing politically to lose, honestly, as being the better candidate, which in this case would be Ramaswamy. This he's not trying to build a career up the ladder and expand his influence. He's a person who has moved. He had his own coming down the elevator event like Trump did. There is so much at stake here, and he is, and there is. And for that, I'm going to, this is where I am today. Could it change? But other things will have to change to probably change me. My, I am putting my hat in the ring of uh, Donald Trump and Vivek Ramaswamy. And Vivek, if by any chance you are hearing this program, you need to do something on your website. You need to make it possible for people to mail you a check and not force people to give through the Internet electronically. There's a bunch of people, including myself, who are not going to do that. We aren't. You'll never get a dime from me. I'm not saying I would support, uh, do it anyway. You're getting enough free advertising with this program as it is. But I won't do it if I have to do it electronically. I love his, uh, his seeking to carry on the vision of Ronald Reagan, the vision of Donald Trump for another generation. Uh, Vivek, don't forget us older folks and how we like to uh, contribute. How's that? 
Hey, God bless you. Love this audience. Appreciate you. I love being able to do this program. Remember, sit tall in the saddle, America, because you ride for the brand, the brand of Jesus Christ. And we will see you next week. We got a tail.